Today on the podcast, we're going to be working through the book of Romans, chapter 4. Welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Welcome back. Like I mentioned in the introduction, uh, today we're going to be back in the book of Romans doing the verse-by-verse study through that book. Uh, We're going to be in chapter 4. We're going to go from verses 3 all the way up to 25. And without further ado, let's just go ahead and jump right in. All right, so we're Romans chapter 4. We started off with Romans. Uh, Paul, of course, starts with a greeting, but then he goes into a section... Actually, I'm going to back up even a couple more steps and say the purpose of Romans, Paul had not been to Rome yet, and neither had any of the other big boys of the faith. Okay, so the Roman church, being in a pivotal place at a pivotal time, you know, the whole world spoke Greek at that point, or at least most of the world, okay, Um, and it was a pivotal place for the gospel to go forth into all the world, and yet nobody had been there to give a good solid foundation to this church. So Paul writes this letter to the Romans, and it is like the most thorough um, exposition of what the gospel looks like. And it's really cool as we continue on even today and in the previous weeks and many weeks to come, Paul anticipates so many different questions that either he had been asked by Jews or Gentiles for that matter, Um, or just stuff that he knows that's what they're wondering. And he's preempting all of these things, and he's answering all these questions. So you read through Romans, and sometimes you're like, what is going on here? Well, he's answering all of these questions and trying to give us the most thorough idea, a rounded look as to what the gospel is and how we as Christians need to live our lives. Okay, And so we saw in chapter 1 and going into chapter 2, he starts with the Gentiles, you know, all of us punks who uh, do not have the law, okay, and are not followers. This is a group of people that for uh, uh, a long time have been living under the law, okay? They've been following this, this law. They've been doing sacrifices. They've been observing the feasts. They have been eating according to the, the dietary guidelines and so many of these other laws. There's quite a few of these, these laws in the Old Testament. What, 313? Or my 600? A lot of laws. (laughs) Okay? And he shows that even the Jews cannot measure up. You can't follow all of the law 100% of the time. And we see, uh, in fact, as we get further on in Romans, we're going to see that um, the wages of sin is death. Okay? One sin. When we break the law of God, whether it's, it's his uh, moral commands, you know, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet, commit adultery, look at somebody with lust even, you know, these types of things. When we commit these sins, it's, it's something that we should be punished for, right? And as he progresses, of course, he's going to get into the gospel. The good news, okay, but first he's got to tell the bad news, that we are all lost 
There is no one good, no not one. We all fall short of the glory of God. Okay? Then we got into uh, a new subject called justification. Okay? Eleanor, what's justification? Blank stare. <laughs> justification. It's, it's justify and never sinned. Okay? It is that moment at which when we trust in Christ and we believe in what he did on that cross for us, we're saved. If we die a moment later, we're good. We're covered. Okay? We're covered by his blood. We're allowed into an eternal existence with God, you know, in his kingdom. Sanctification is a process, and that's something we're still a few chapters out where we're actually going to start looking at sanctification and what that really means. But just so that, you know, people don't get these two mixed up, sanctification is a process. It is a lifelong thing where God's Holy Spirit is convicting us of our sins and helping us clean up our lives, okay? So we know we're sinners. We know we got issues. We're trying to clean up our lives, but we're already saved. Okay? We're not doing good works. We're not trying to clean up our lives to be saved. We already are saved. We've been justified. And today we're going to see that even further as we're looking at the life of Abraham. We're already justified. No, we clean up. We're trying to look more like Christ because we love him. And we want to be cleaned up. We want to be righteous. We want to represent our king. Amen? Amen. So uh, we're going to go into chapter 4 today. Um, we're going to start uh, in verse 3, which is actually a review of last time. R- uh, verse 3, it says, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And we ended last time with that, and we got stuck on this huge rabbit trail. And then Russ continued the rabbit trail on his week, because this is where my text and Russ's text in James chapter 2, they started clashing. Because here we see that Abraham was justified by faith, But in James, it seems to suggest that Abraham was justified by his works. And we saw that, and, and, you know, that is a a, a issue that Christians have been having for, you know, a thousand years, trying to sort out justification and sanctification. If we're saved, we should start feeling very convicted of our sins. We should, the Holy Spirit will be active in our lives, pulling us towards righteousness and making us feel terrible about the sins we have in our lives. I mean, you know, and not in a, in a condemning way, but we should want to repent. When we do something stupid, we should feel dirty, kind of, God, I'm sorry. It, it used to be fun. I, I didn't really like how that felt now, you know, and, and I, I'm sorry, I don't want to be like that. And we should feel convicted of it. So anyway, we are talking about Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. What did he believe? Well, that's tracing back to Genesis. God made Abraham a promise that from his seed, he would become the father of many nations, right? Um, so that is a concept, actually. Today we're going to go into chapter 4 and... I don't know about you guys, but this chapter for me for the longest time was really just difficult. I'm just like, I have no idea what Paul's talking about. He's talking about Abraham. He keeps saying justification. I have no idea where he's going. This is kind of one of those hard chapters. But we're going to take it down to the level today, and we're going to go through it. I'm going to try and avoid as many rabbit trails as possible because I want to stick to what is being said here so that you guys keep the flow of the thought. Because this one, it's, I don't know, it just... Maybe it's just me. My Gentile mindset just doesn't want to go here, 
okay? But we're going to go there. <laughs> and so going on, we're going to go to verse 4 here. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Well, that one's fairly easy. Um, many of you guys have jobs. When you go and put in your 40 hours, uh, what would you, how would you feel if your, if your boss came up to you and said, hey, I got a free gift for you, and then hands you your paycheck? You're like, dude, I work for that. I, you owe that to me. You better pay me that money. That's not a gift. You know, and the same thing. If we work for our salvation, it wouldn't be a free gift. So when Paul says in Ephesians, via the Holy Spirit, that by grace you're saved through faith, that's not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. God couldn't say that's a free gift if it wasn't a free gift. It's a free gift. And so we don't work for it. Verse 5, But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So God justifies the ungodly. And I, you know, sometimes you read over this and you kind of just take that for granted, but I, I kind of want to dwell on that for just a second because, um, you know, when you're kind of a, a, um, a new Christian or even an unbeliever, you always feel like the way to heaven is through doing good things, right? Doing good works and avoiding the bad ones, right? And you, you talk to uh, a Roman Catholic. You say, you know, do you think you're saved? Are you going to go to heaven someday? What are they going to do? They're going to go to their works. They're going to start talking about whether they're good or bad. They're going to be talking about what they do and not what Christ did. Okay? And it's just so neat. I love that it just flat out says he justifies the ungodly. Who's that? That's us. You know, so that's really good news for all you miserable wretches out there. You know, <laughs> that's really good news. And so we, we move on from here. Um, Paul shifts his focus a little bit, um, as we're going to see, because a person can easily, keep in mind, right now we're talking about Abraham, and we're going to be talking about Abraham and justification for the rest of today. He's going to dwell on Abraham. Why? To the Jews, he, to them, he's their first father. Okay? They look at him with the utmost uh, respect and reverence. And so, you know, if anybody was a Jew of Jew, Jews, it's Abraham. Okay, so they're sticking on that subject. Well, one could very justifiably think, okay, Abraham was justified by works, but then the law came, right? He was justified, I'm sorry, I said by works. Abraham was justified by faith, but that was before the law was given. So what if a new dispensation, a new time, was born when the law was given, now we should be looking to the law, right? And so Paul, anticipating this idea, uh, runs it off at the pass, and he rolls out another witness. You know, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, a thing is established. Well, he's going to bring David, another one of their most respected, revered men, to the forefront. And so in verse 6, he says this, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. And then he quotes directly from uh, something that David said. Uh, this was in one of the Psalms, and I had it in my notes, but it's gone now. I don't remember what Psalm it is. If somebody can remember this, they get brownie points. Um, what's that? 32? 
Okay. All right. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I knew that. I was just testing you guys. So, um, <laughs> Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. And so uh, Paul starts off here and he says, just as, kind of implying that David's experience was similar to Abraham. Abraham being justified before the law, David being justified after the giving of the law. Okay? Does that make sense? And uh, so, kind of heads off that thought process right at the past, but he's not done. He's going to keep hitting this whole idea of justification as we continue on. But he's going to now focus on justification and circumcision, which we've touched on already in the previous, I don't know, couple of my teachings back. Uh, But in verse 9, he says this, and this is really good. I love this. I mean, he pretty much nails the... the um, there was a thought process amongst many of the Jews that if they're circumcised, well, they should be saved, right? Kind of a cultural justification. Hey, I, I'm circumcised. I'm one of the Jews. I'm saved. I'm good. I don't need to worry about this, this Jesus guy. Uh, you know, and so he heads that one off. Verse 9, he says, Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only? Or, un, or upon the uncircumcised also. For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. Okay, and that's a direct quote from, from Genesis. Uh, Genesis 17, no, I'm messing that up too. Genesis something. Okay, then verse 10. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. Yeah, yeah, boom, done. That argument's done. <laughs> I mean, there, uh, a Jew that believed at that point that circumcision had anything to do with justification just got cut off. I mean, no pun intended. That, <laughs> that argument, <laughs> sorry, sorry. That <laughs> I shouldn't have even said that. All right. Sheesh, cut that one out of the recording. Um, probably turning red, too. Anyway, um, so circumcision does not save you. Uh, It does not justify you. And so moving on, verse 11, you know, what is circumcision then? It says that he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. So again, Faith comes, or uh, justification happens via faith, not through some type of work, okay? Circumcision, what is that? Uh, Talk to Glenn after the service, he'll tell you about it. But it is an outward sign of an inward change, right? To Abraham, it was, A, it was a sign that he belonged to God. It was a seal in that it was uh, a, a, a reminder that Abraham uh, had a promise. God had given Abraham a promise, and he was going to keep it, okay? Likewise today, uh, us believers will do baptism. Does baptism save you? There's some churches that teach that, that you need to get dunked before you're saved. Tell that to the guy on the cross next to Jesus, who Jesus said, today I'll see you in paradise. Hey, somebody get him off the cross real quick so we can dunk him and then put him back up. (laughs) No, he didn't have time to do that. Um, 
It's an outward sign of an inward change, okay? The baptism doesn't save you, but if you are saved, dude, go get baptized. It's a command. Do it. So, verse 12. And the father of circumcision to those who are not <clears throat> only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. <clears throat> For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And so we see this concept here. Um, and, and we touched on it a little bit in verse 3, right when we started. You know, Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness sake. Okay, What did he believe again? He believed that God gave him a promise that he would bring from him a seed. He would be the father of many nations. Of course, we saw that that seed uh, both meant, obviously, biologically, there would be uh, 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 many nations that would come from him. But as we progress here, we're going to see there was a lot more to that. And uh, that, that God was actually speaking for, uh, one of Jesus and how there would be a spiritual, spiritual lineage that would come from Abraham. Okay? Um, but this concept that uh, we are of Abraham, this is something that just comes up over and over and over in the New Testament. And this is where our Gentile minds were just like, eh? Why do they keep saying that? It was a really big deal. Uh, there was kind of a, a, an idea that um, just simply being a descendant of Abraham gave you some kind of special favor before God, okay? Some kind of salvific advantage. And so from this point to the end of this teaching, we're going to be dealing with this because it's, it's something that just kept coming up over and over and over throughout the New Testament. We see John the Baptist, you know, the uh, situation where the Pharisees come down to the river and, of course, he greets them by calling them a brood of vipers. And, uh, but what, what happens there? Um, he says to them, Do not think that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Why would they even say that? It's because there was this kind of this idea, Hey, we're descendants of Abraham. We should have a huge advantage. Okay? Right? Uh, Paul in Galatians, which uh, I've done a whole study on Wednesday nights through the book of Galatians. It's, it's, a, it's online if anybody wants to check it out. But at one point, Paul, dealing with this group of Judaizers, they were legalistic, Christian-esque Jews that were trying to take the Gentile Christians and tell them that they need to observe all the law and they need to be circumcised to be saved. So they were really messing up the gospel. Paul deals with that same thing in there. He, he basically has to tell them again, you know, this lineage of Abraham is a lineage of faith. This isn't, we're not talking about a physical, biological uh, um, uh, lineage. And then, of course, there's this confrontation that I, I just think it's awesome. We've got to look at it a little bit. That Jesus has with some Jews um, he was emphasizing their need to receive his words and, um, and, and, and listen to his commands. And how they respond to him, they say, we are Abraham's seed. What a strange thing to say. Like, you're reading through that, and you're like, what? 
Why would he, why would he they even bring that up? And um, Jesus rebukes them when they say that because they were plotting to kill him. Okay, Abraham wouldn't have done that. And so he rebukes them. What do they come back with? Abraham is our father. Isn't that interesting? So they just, they're like, why should we listen to you? Why should we care about what you're teaching? We are of Abraham. And they keep trying to bring him back to Abraham. <clears throat> and this is when Jesus says something that, uh, Jesus makes a point that Paul is actually going to be making here as we progress a few more verses down the page here. But um, <clears throat> Jesus says, uh, he acknowledges that they're descendants of Abraham, okay, biologically, but then he makes this weird distinction. He says, yes, you guys are descendants, but if you were children of Abraham, you would do the works of Abraham. And, of course, that makes a person's head spin. You go, okay, wait, 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 wait. What were the works of Abraham? He was a good guy, sure. He was a good guy. He also did a lot of crummy stuff in his life. <clears throat> but remember, Abraham lived before the law was given. So he, didn't, he wasn't even able to observe the law. So what were the works of Abraham? Well, we heard last time Russ taught, uh, and the time before that when I taught, <clears throat> that the work of Abraham was he believed God so much when God told him, sacrifice your son. Okay, don't let that trip anybody up. There was a reason why he did that. There was a type and shadow that was pointing towards Christ. He didn't actually sacrifice his son. Okay, God stopped him right at the last second, and God said, I will provide myself Funny way of saying it. I will provide myself a lamb. <laughs> you know, or, or actually, I might have said a ram, but anyway. Um, I, was, I will provide myself a sacrifice. Yeah, I think that's it. Sorry. Uh, anyway, so, anyway, there was that distinction made. And so, how do you do the works of Abraham? It's through faith. It's trusting God. It's trusting what Christ did on the cross for you. Right? And so, you go on, and in the back and forth continues between uh, Jesus and these Jews. Um, they respond back to him when he says that, are you greater than our father Abraham? Again, just back to Abraham, 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 over and over and over. Okay, And uh, Jesus responds with, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad, which really tripped him up. Okay? Remember when we talked about this? Uh, Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. And we talked about not only was this a nation, but according to Paul in the book of Galatians, it was in the singular. When he said seed, it was singular. And Abraham was also looking forward to the Messiah coming from his lineage, which is really cool. And Jesus hints at that right here. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And then, of course, the Jews were incredulous at this point. They're just like, what? You know, you, you think that you were contemporary to, to Abraham, that you lived at the same time as him? And Jesus comes back with the ultimate response, shuts the whole thing down, and he says, truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. That is awesome. That is a claim to deity. When Abraham was talking to Jesus out of the burning bush, talking to God through the burning bush, and, and he's asking God, well, who should I tell them your name is? What, what's your name? And God responds back with, 
I am. That was Jesus making a claim to deity. And just in case anybody thinks I'm stretching it, the Jews very much understood this as a claim to deity as they were all picking up rocks to throw them at him. You know, they thank you, the Jews, for saving us on that and making that very clear. They understood exactly what he was saying. You don't just stone anybody. You know, there's laws you got to keep. And Jesus obviously wasn't caught in adultery. Um, He wasn't a rebellious kid. He just committed, in their eyes, blasphemy. So anyway... All that to say, this is, this is a major issue. It just keeps coming up, up, up throughout the New Testament. And so Paul is trying to head that off as we continue on here. Um, and so, um, you know, it's something I just want to kind of throw in there. Um, you guys can have this for free. I'm not going to dwell on it too long. But I just want to make this comment because some people see in this chapter an idea that's called replacement theology. That us Christians, the church is replacing the Jews in their plan, purpose, uh, and, and, and the promises that were made to them. That is false. No, we have not. Okay, and I'm not going to dwell on that. Someday maybe we can go down that road. Uh, but I just want to make that point because we did not replace the Jews. Okay, so anyway, verse 14, moving on. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Okay, again, you read that and you're like, eh? what is he saying? Paul's lining out a quick little argument here. He says, Abraham was justified by faith before the law was given. If justification is through the law, then your, father's, your father Abraham's faith, his justification is made void. A good, I mean, again, boom. Drop in the mic. <laughs> you know, Paul just you know, nails it with that one. And then verse 15, because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Okay, so we know that the law helps us understand our utter, utter sinful position before God. Okay, and we also know that there's a penalty for breaking God's law. When we sin, you know, there is wrath that is due to us. Okay? But then verse 16, therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all of the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father's, father of us all. Okay, so there he says it. He just comes right out and says it. It is by faith alone through grace alone. Okay, now, Jews and Gentiles, through Christ, can partake in justification. It is a free gift. And all of us are welcome to, to partake in that, to trust in Christ, trust in God, in what he did on the cross for us, that we would be saved, that we would be forgiven. Okay? Our sins would be blotted out permanently. So, Moving on to verse 17, Uh, this gets a little confusing. I I think this was just grammatically some translational issues because Paul kind of jumps between speaking about God and Abraham. So as we're reading it kind of, so I'm going to insert God and Abraham a couple times just so so it kind of makes it more clear. Okay, adding to the word of God, that's me. I'm going to get struck by lightning. Um, 
<laughs> as it is written, I have made you, speaking of Abraham, a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. God, obviously now we're talking about God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Who, and this is where it got a little confusing, who, back to Abraham, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Okay, so um, Abraham, being the father of the faithful, Okay, um, this, this is basically summing up what we've been talking about. And Paul sees this as fulfillment in what we see in Genesis chapter 16, verse 5, that I have made you a father of many nations. Okay, so we of faith are children of Abraham in that we trust in Christ, we trust in what he did on the cross, and we're justified. That's what he's saying. Um, <clears throat> Something that's, that's interesting here. Um, he calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Okay, what is that saying? All right, there's, there's what it is saying, and then we're going to go on a massive, massive rabbit trail off of the beaten path, okay? <laughs> to say what it's not saying. But God stands outside of space and time, okay? He sees the end from the beginning. He can speak of something far in the future or way in the past as if it's happening now. And he often does that in his word. We just read, before Abraham was, I am. Past tense. That already happened. But he's speaking as if it's now. Okay? Uh, Glenn, throughout the book of Isaiah, tons and tons of instances where God will speak via the Holy Spirit through Isaiah and will speak of something that is yet hundreds of years down the road, and will speak of it as if it's happening right now. Okay, an example, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 13, Therefore my people have gone into captivity. It hadn't even had happened yet, okay? Because they have no knowledge, their honorable men are famished, and their multitude dried up with thirst. So, God's able to do that, and he does that often. He calls things that don't exist as if they did. Okay? He's outside of space and time. He sees things from a different perspective than we do. Now, rabbit trail time. There is, there is a, a, a teaching that is very common amongst uh, Christian church that um, will take this and a few other scriptures and kind of twist it a little bit. Uh, it, it, and, and see, like all things, there's a grain of truth in what they're saying, but it gets taken way too far. Um, it's, it's the idea that we can call things into existence by declaring them. Uh, it's often referred to as positive confession, that we can declare something in faith and God will bring it to pass. There is an element of truth in that, in that we can pray in faith, and we're told that if we pray and truly believe it, God will bring it to pass, right? I mean, that's, I mean God asks, if you say to this mountain, move, it'll move. Right? That's what the scriptures say. There's an element of truth to that, but it's taken way, way out of hand. Um, they'll say that uh, basically, if you declare something, you're actually, your words are pushing supernatural power into this thing that you're declaring. So you can declare yourself to be healthy, you can declare yourself to be wealthy, uh, and um, 
And, and you are going to actually supernaturally influence the world around you by your words alone and your faith, and that's going to bring this thing about, okay? Um, but we know that God, first of all, it's more of a telling. It's a declaring and not an asking. But second of all, we see that God doesn't answer every single prayer we, we ask. And that, that actually be kind of a fun teaching in and of itself, prayers that God doesn't answer. Because there's so many times in the Bible where we see instances where God doesn't answer a certain prayer, right? You know, and, and so, like, for example, in James chapter 4, Russ will get there probably in a few more months. Um, <laughs> it says that you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you might spend it on your own pleasure. So there's times where we pray for something and we probably shouldn't be praying for it. We're asking amiss. We also see that in uh, um, Peter, there's a situation where, um, going off road here, says, husbands likewise dwell with them, speaking of the wife, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Hmm, interesting. So there's times when God doesn't answer prayers, right? It might be sin issues in our life, whatever. So we do know that there are times when God just simply doesn't answer prayers. Um, but, you know, like I was saying, this is more of an asking and not a telling. You're telling God um, what, what you're going to get. I am healthy. I am wealthy. There's a lot of people out there. The Word of Faith movement is rife with this idea that we can name and claim something, right? Uh, and, and you can take it back to a particular character. At least this is how far I've been able to trace it back. A guy named Phineas Quimby. He was not a Christian. Uh, he, was, he was more of a New Ager, if anything. And he taught and believed that if you spoke something with enough belief inside, this is not belief in God, but just belief, you could make it become reality. And uh, he wrote this. He influenced uh, a particular woman, Mary Baker Eddy, who started a movement called uh, Christian Science, uh, a cult. Okay? This is not like the creationist movement with Christian scientists. This is a cult movement where they believe that they can uh, bring about health by simply declaring it. Okay? Uh, there was also the New Thought movement was birthed out of this. Uh, but uh, Kenneth Hagin who was a word of faith preacher, he was the one that took these ideas, he was reading Phineas Quimby, took those ideas, incorporated, incorporated them into the church, took a few scriptures that kind of sound like they might be saying that, put it all together and started teaching it. Um, there's a lot of conspiracy theories as to why he did that. I'm not going to go there. But, um, you know, and I... I I'd like to think he meant well, but yeah, it, it doesn't bear out in the scripture. We, you know, we got, we got Paul. He had a thorn in his flesh, right? Did he speak life over it and declare that he would be better? better? No, he petitioned his father. He, he asked his Lord, God, please heal me of this. And God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. You know, Timothy had some kind of weird stomach issue. Paul didn't say, speak over it, speak over it in faith. No, he said, Take a little wine for stomach's sake, okay? So we know that it doesn't bear out in Scripture. You don't see that being taught explicitly, especially, too. If this was a teaching that, this would be a really big deal, right, guys? If we could make ourselves wealthy and healthy by just 
declaring it, man alive, that'd be one of the coolest teachings in the Bible. And you'd expect to see it in very explicit language in various places, but it's, it's just not there. It's not there. So anyway, rabbit trail finished. No, it's not finished. Actually, I wanted to, talk, I wanted to mention, though, the dangers of it. I've watched, I watched a guy die. Uh, we all knew him particular gentleman who was stuck in a wheelchair, and the end of his life, he was miserable because we were in this hyper-charismatic Word of Faith church that was teaching this, and to him, uh, we also subscribed to an idea basically called healing in the atonement. You know, in Isaiah, where it says, Isaiah chapter 53, where it says, uh, by his stripes we are healed, well, they would take that to mean, you basically, if you're saved, you're kind of guaranteed that God's going to heal you. What does that do to the person that's not healed? So it wrecked him. Uh, we had a, a situation where a couple had a baby, and before the baby was born, <clears throat> x-rays and this, that, and the other, they were able to find out this baby had a major, major health problem that science could fix, but they took that as a negative confession, and they rebuked that, and they renounced that negative confession in Jesus' name. And then they, we all spoke positive words over this, the, this parent and their, their baby, and the parents chose not to get a surgery. Baby died. So it's a, it's a dangerous doctrine, guys. It is dangerous, and it can lead to all kinds of error. So rabbit trail done. Let's get back to the word here. I just wanted to throw that in there because it's one of those things that's really pushed hard on Christian TV, and you get all this stuff, and, and, and some of it's nonsense. And boy, these guys, man, they're declaring their wealth. and Yeah, they're wealthy, all right. There's some of those televangelist guys that are stinking rich. And um, John the Baptist would say, brood of vipers? <laughs> you know, there's some nonsense going on out there. Okay, so verse 19. Let's get back to the word here. Uh, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb... He did, and the dentist of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so, wow, you know, <laughs> Abraham and, and uh, Sarah, they were, they were pretty old. 100 years old, that's pretty ancient for making babies. <laughs> but God made Abraham a promise, and he believed him, okay? And um, we're made a lot of promises in the Bible, right? Amen? There's, there's a lot of uh, flaky websites and teachers and posts out there uh, that will claim all kinds of quote, promises in the Bible that are not for us. We always got to be careful. Who's, this, who's the one that's being talked to? Is this to the nation of Israel? Is it to a particular character in the Bible? Or is it to us? But there are a lot of promises to us. Yeah, you know, Paul did say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but that's not going to make me an all-star basketball player by claiming that. You know what I'm saying? That was the Paul. He was sitting in chains in a prison, suffering, and he was talking about suffering. I've, I've found that whatever state I'm in, you know, to, to abound, and you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he's sitting there suffering. So, but 
God has made us some promises in this Bible, stuff we can stand on, stuff we can have faith in, stuff we can claim. Of course, we all know John 3.16, the latter half of that verse, whosoever believes in him, Jesus, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Right? Here's a promise we can stand on. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's, that's awesome. We can stand on that. Um, Romans chapter, nine, or chapter 10, verse 9. We'll get there 10 years from now. It says, Now it was, uh, I'm sorry, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a promise. So Paul ends chapter 4 here today, and we're going to end here with, with a similar promise. Something that tells the gospel. And he says this, verse 23, Now it was not written for his sake, Abraham, for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of, actually, rather, for our justification. Amen? Praise God. So, yes, we can stand on that. God did, Jesus gave his life on that cross for us because of our sins. We can be justified by simply trusting in him. And at that moment when we trust in him, we are saved. We die a moment later, an airplane falls out of the sky and crashes on our head. We're saved. Praise God. Praise God. So let's, let's pray. Father, thank you again for bringing us together and teaching us out of your word. Uh, Romans is such, such a neat book, and we thank you for that. Um, you know, Father, thank you that you have made us children of Abraham, and it's of faith. Thank you that you've given us, once again, this whole chapter of illustrations using Abraham to show us that it is not anything we do. It's something you already did and that we just trust in you. Thank you that we don't have to come from a special family line. Thank you that there's nothing we have to do. Please bless us this week as we go our way, Lord, and uh, line us up with the divine appointment this week, Lord. Help us all grow in our faith by sharing our faith. Pray, Lord, that you would challenge each and every one of us sometime this week with a situation where we can share our faith and Holy Spirit move through us when that happens. We thank you for everything, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing it out loud, declaration.